This story of the feeding of the 5,000 is one of the most well-known and popular stories in the New Testament and in our faith. So popular that several versions of this feeding story are spread across the Gospels, meaning they have a lot of significance. We often tend to think of the Last Supper when we think about the Eucharist, that that was sort of the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper. But clearly, this is an image of the Eucharistic feast. Jesus takes bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and distributes it. Those are the actions of the Eucharist. So we are seeing an image of the Eucharistic feast here. But for me, the entire story hinges on the boy. The boy who has the five loaves and the two fish. What do we learn? What, what does this piece of the story tell us? We know that a barley loaf was the food of the poor. Barley is what poor people ate. And barley loaves and some fish would have been the traveling food of the poor. So we know that the boy is poor and indeed it tells us that entire 5,000 people that are following Jesus around looking for a king are among the poor and the outcast. And the boy, of course, would be one of the least of them. His status would be lower than the adults. So here is one of the least of the people offering the resources that make this Eucharistic feast, this miracle of God's abundance, possible. Is it the case that this boy was, out of 5,000 people, the only one who had the foresight to bring a little food? Was he selling the food? When I read this story, I flash to Malawi, Africa, visiting our sister parish and two children by the side of a rural road holding sticks that have roasted field mice on them that they are selling for protein for people and to make a little bit of money for their poor subsistence family. So perhaps the boy is selling the meager rations that he has. But nonetheless, this whole story hinges on this sort of marginal figure who ends up supplying what is needed for this miracle of God's abundant love and the feeding of God's people. It is through this boy that Jesus fulfills the needs of the people this story is so powerful for me, and especially this figure of the boy, because I feel like I met that boy this week. This past week, uh, for the third year in a row, I served as the chaplain up at St. Dorothy's Rest, uh, which is one of the Episcopal camp and conference centers for our diocese. 
that's uh, actually in the Diocese of Northern California up near Occidental Camp Meeker. And for three years, I've been the chaplain of what they call hospital camp. Every child at this camp, normally starting around six to eight years old up to 18, has had a major organ transplant at Lucille Packard Children's Hospital that's part of Stanford. Every one of them. And there were about, I don't know, 55, 58 kids. Every one of them has had a major organ transplant. And St. Dorothy's Rest fundraises and pays 100% of the cost for every one of these kids to come to this camp. And they gather and they are a tribe. They have something in common that they've all experienced as young people. Most of the kids, if you met them, you'd have no idea they'd ever had a transplant. They would strike you as perfectly, quote, normal. You might notice that uh, they have to take a bunch of medicine every morning and a bunch of medications every night. They have to drink way more water than most of us do, so planning their day around getting access to bathrooms. Perhaps their life is really different than many of ours as kids. It's hard to do a sleepover at a friend's house when you have to, have to catheterize yourself every night. Or you're a teenager and you have to sleep with a pull-up diaper on. But otherwise, if you just met them, you'd think, oh, it's a bunch of kids at camp, but who have this shared thing. But there are also a bunch of associated medical issues that many of them have. Like, there can be no latex at camp because so many of them have latex allergies that they've developed. Or severe food allergies. There was a girl there who had spent two continuous years in the hospital. Two years of her life in the hospital. There was a 14-year-old girl at camp who, because of the side effects of the medication she's on, had just had a total knee replacement at 14. There were two children at the camp who, I didn't even know this was possible, can go into anaphylactic shock from severe temperature changes. So if they're in a nice warm building and they walk out and it drops 30 degrees, they can go into anaphylactic shock from that and have to plan their lives around that. And then there are the kids who've all had organ transplants but have more obvious physical, emotional, or developmental issues that are coupled with whatever's caused their issues around needing to have a major organ transplant or multiple. There's a kid, Michael, who had a, a, a kidney and a heart. And these kids, of course, stand out a little more. And I think back to, um, like, middle school can be brutal, right, for anybody. It's got to be really brutal for some of these kids that have much more obvious physical or developmental issues that really, really stand out. And I realize that sometimes we look at other people the way the Apostle Andrew 
looks at the bread and the fish that the boy has. What is this among so many people? We can look at other people as if they're somehow insufficient for what we need or for who in some way they are lacking. What is this among so many people? And I feel like I sort of came face to face with that and have been. For the last three years, I've become especially close to Elias and even more so to Andrew. Elias has had a transplant. He's partially deaf, so wears two hearing aids. Has a lot of developmental issues is on some heavy medications that make him very tired. And he'd often stand next to me during our evening ritual when we were gathered in a circle. And he'd been telling me how tired he felt. And we all have our arms around each other. And I felt Elias kind of lean into my body and all of his weight coming on to me. And then his head tipped back. But not right, like, they're like 70 people with campers and counselors singing and clapping and doing our evening ritual, and he starts snoring. He literally fell asleep, standing, leaning against my body. And it was really hard to wake him up at the end of ritual. But he's such a delightful, delightful guy. He's funny, give you a great hug, high five. During the dance, he wanted to dance with some girls, but then was felt really conflicted because uh, he knew that his girlfriend wouldn't like that. So he wanted to talk about that. And then there's Andrew. I love Andrew. Andrew and I have become kind of close over the last three years. Andrew has had a kidney transplant. He is uh, very severely pigeon-toed and some deformities that make him walk very inward. His gait is very uh, a challenge for him to walk and balance, so he needs assistance on like rocky trails or steep hills or uh, things like that. There may be some slight cerebral palsy. He's got some developmental issues that are mild, but when he, you know, he moves around a lot moving around. He has his left hand, his thumb comes up and then splits into two thumbs. And when we were going around the circle saying how many years you'd been at camp, he held up his left hand and then one finger on his right hand and said seven because that's two. And Andrew, every time I'd walk by him, he'd give me a high... I mean, it's kind of ironic, right? So it's Andrew in the gospel passage that says, here's this boy, but what is this among so many people? But it is Andrew that has... the camper that's been that boy in the gospel story for me. For all of his seeming issues and disabilities, he's an incredibly wise, thoughtful person. You think he's kind of not paying any attention, and then all of a sudden 
he'll, he'll have this kind of one-liner that's like the deepest philosophical statement you've heard, or he'll ask this really probing question. One of the older counselors was kind of agonizing that she was now 18 and was aging out of camp. She couldn't come anymore, and it was kind of upsetting her. And Andrew just looked at her, and, and this seems simple, but it was actually quite profound. He just looked at her and said, we're all getting older. And the demeanor of the girl just completely changed, like, oh, yeah, like, this is just part of the process, right? This is part of the deal. And I just, Andrew gives, like Elias, you know, they'll come up to you, give you a high five, give you a hug. And uh, will you be here next year? And Andrew especially has kind of been that boy in the gospel story for me, that source of God's grace and God's uh, abundance. Like the gospel story, our lives, our encounter with God hinges on these people and the fullness of who they are. That's who Jesus reached out to. And it is often those people that we may look at as the least that are actually the source of God's grace and abundance and love and miracles for us. We might look at someone and think, oh, you know, wow, thank God that's not me. What God sees is abundance in that person. God sees abundance in that person. And it makes me realize we often, people like me, right, like straight, white, middle class guy living a great life, we often talk about uh, people who are less fortunate. And it makes me wonder, in God's economy, what does that mean to say someone's less fortunate? Are Elias and Andrew less fortunate than me? Their lives are way more complicated than I am. Every kid at that camp has a difficult life. How long is their organ going to last? How many of them will need another transplant within a couple years? Almost every year there's some kid that doesn't come to camp because they didn't make it through the year. But the grace with which all these kids, and especially Elias and Andrew, the way they carry themselves, the way in a life that I think would rack me with anxiety, they handle with such grace. So in God's eyes, what does it mean to be less fortunate? Who is truly fortunate? I'm certainly fortunate in having encountered Elias and Andrew and all of those campers that for me represent that boy in the gospel story. Who has been that boy in your life? Or who is that boy in your life? Can you search for that boy in the crowd and see him with new eyes? That what may seem a meager offering is in fact the fruit of God's abundance that can transform your life. I left camp with more love than I arrived with. 
and I've gathered it up so that none of it may be lost.